Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. We'll get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams' is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio is going to take it for a touchdown. for the possible win. Snap, spot, kick away, high enough, long enough. It's good! It's good! Carolina has won the game on a 42-yard field goal by freshman Hunter Barth. Good gosh, dirty! This is the Heel Tough Blog Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's your host, Anthony Pagnotta, with you guys as always. And today, we are here midway through camp to sort of break down everything that is going on with the Tar Heels to this point. Mac Brown had a presser yesterday. He talked about a ton of different things, including the status of Tez Walker, as well as the injury statuses of five key players and updated us on some of the other things that are going on around the team. So we're going to break that all down here today. And to do that with me, it is Josh Marlowe making his return. It's uh, it's It's been a little bit. We're going to start rolling out uh, the additions of uh, the position previews once again. You'll hear on the back end of this podcast the offensive line preview. And then we will continue rolling throughout there. So, uh, buddy, we're... we're Right around the corner, about two and a half weeks away from the opener here in Charlotte, and uh, I, I don't know how you how you're feeling. I mean, the last time you were on here, we were talking about Tez Walker's situation. We're now a week, week and a half almost past uh, that ruling coming down. Apparently, it was found out, you know, sort of a little bit before that by Carolina and everybody in 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 their compliance department, as well as Tez Walker himself. But uh, each day that passes by, I think Toriel fans are probably feeling more and more uneasy. Yeah, I mean, I think we kind of knew this was probably going to be how it was going to happen once we found out he wasn't deemed eligible to play for the upcoming year. And as as uh, frustrating as that is, still trying not to let that damper my excitement for the upcoming season. As you mentioned, two and a half weeks away, we got the 
AP preseason poll out earlier this week. Um, so, you know, that, that really starts getting the conversation going about the teams that were, you know, overranked, underranked, or what have you. Um, but, you know, this is a big deal because, you know, even though we haven't seen Tez Walker in a Carolina uniform, we've there's enough tape of him to see what type of dynamic guy this dude is. And there's no question, with Carolina on the field, or uh, with with him on the field, Carolina's a better football team, and I think he gives them a better chance to achieve the type of things we want to achieve. Not saying that they can't win ten games this year or can't get back to the AC title game without him. It's just without him, that path does seem a lot tougher. Well, it, it's a lot tougher as well because they're still preparing as if they have him. Mac Brown, when he spoke yesterday, said, "Look." He is still going full speed with us. We're still using him primarily with our blue team. And look, to me, right now, it makes sense. You have to use him as if he is going to be there because if they do deem him eligible and you're basically just sitting him out, that isn't really going to help your chances to win that opener if you're counting on him to be a valuable piece of what you do. But at the same time, we are starting to get to a point, right, where you are going to have to start at least supplementing him out here and there and trying to find your solution, whether it's J.J. Jones, whether you're moving Kobe Pesor to the outside, or if somebody else is going to emerge there, you've got to start looking at other options at some point here if you're Caroline. Yeah, because, you know, this is the game that you – you have the most time to game plan and prepare for because it's the first game of the year. And coaches will tell you that, they're you know, we treat it like a normal game week. No, you don't. You know, probably next week you're probably starting to install your game plan and for the way you want to attack this South Carolina team defensively. And you, for right now, that, that game plan needs to be planned around him not being on the field. And figuring out what other ways you're gonna, or how, what other, how you're gonna run your offense if he isn't on the field, because even if he does get uh, the waiver and is allowed to play this year, which should happen, and if not, the NCAA should be burned to the ground. You're probably wow. looking at a, you know, at, at, at a buzzer beater decision, because this is just the way that it works. Um, they're ran. And look, I know Charlie Baker isn't as bad as Mark Emmert. Um, well, it's 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 to be seen. Remember, know, he just got in there in January. The problem so. is, is that he could be better, and he's still a dumbass. Um, and that building is ran by incompetent people, so it's not like this decision is going to be made anytime soon. And unfortunately, Carolina has to prepare that way. Um, it's not it's not fair to not it's not fair to the player. It's not fair to the coaching staff. It's not it's not fair to the program, but. Right now, that's unfortunately the reality of the situation. So how do you balance that out? Like, even starting right now, are you basically taking him out of the starting lineup and just playing him with the twos? I would because he's not – I mean, as of today, if you if you strapped on your helmets, would he be on the, would he be on the field? I mean, but you're going to lose that chemistry that he has with Drake May, possibly. Um, I, I mean – Yeah, I think the thing is is that, you know, if Drake is the guy that we think he is – that that chemistry's already been established. Once he lines back up, I think he would be able to just kind of be right back at home, and Drake's going to find him the way that he's been finding him, you know, in the spring and so far right now uh, in fall camp. So, like I said, it, it's not, it's not, it's not what I want to see. It's not the way I want them to prepare. But um, this is pretty. I mean, we we've established like game one sets the tone. Carolina comes out one and zero. 
I, I think you, you, you probably believe a lot more in them trying to achieve the type of things we want to achieve and, quite frankly, they need to achieve with a generational type of quarterback. If you lose that game, we saw what happened two years ago when you lost your season opener as a, as a preseason-ranked team. It was kind of the beginning of a tailspin type of year. I don't envision that happening, but you just never know. And so Carolina needs to be as adequately adequately prepared for this game and right now that means Tez Walker wouldn't be on the field well look I don't think a loss in this game would compare anywhere near what that loss was on the road against Virginia Tech back in 21 Virginia Tech was a team and and they be they became ranked after it but that was simply because they beat a team that was ranked 10th in the country that team had no business beating Carolina that was embarrassing And this one, I mean, look, I think these two teams are pretty evenly matched. But I think you're right. You get to the point. Remember last year when they were going through the quarterback battle? What was the date that Mac Brown said, we got to have our quarterback because we got to start planning for the first game of the season? Ten days out. Yep. That's the last. After, once you get to that ten-day mark, you have to start using these other guys. And look, to, to be fair, they've been rotating a lot more at the wide receiver position. Really, they've probably been doing that for the majority of the offseason, but they got to get it figured out. Now, in terms of what is going on with the actual Tez Walker situation, uh, Mac Brown spoke to the media on Tuesday about this, and he said, look, no timetable at, at this point. They have not given us anything. There has been no contact. That's how the NCAA does it. There's no contact uh, between us you know, before – uh, they actually make the decision. So it, it's one of those things where you just have to sit and wait until the decision is actually made. Uh, he, you know, called out, you know, uh, you know the situation for what it is. Uh, basically, it's just the NCAA, um, you know, going back and, and telling kids that thought that things could be done the way that they were being done at the time. Um, and, you know they're they're basically retroactively punishing them for doing what was right at that time. So I think he's a hundred percent right about that. Nobody should be denying that. And you know, unfortunately, Tez Walker's not the only one that's dealing with this situation. There are multiple guys around the country that are dealing with the same exact situation uh, that Tez is dealing with. And uh, here's what Mac Brown had to say about you know, what what he's expecting from the NCAA. I'm banking on, on uh, Charlie Baker. If we are changing, it's time to change. And I'm banking on him stepping up and changing because it's what's best for this young man. It's not about us. He is a good player. But if, we're, if I, I say that I'm going to take care of every player and treat them like I'd want my son to be treated, that's what I'm trying to do in this situation. Tez needs to be able to play. That's the only fair thing for him, and and um, people need to stand up for it because that that's an area we need to get changed. We went from everybody being eligible to now nobody's eligible. That's not neither one of them are fair, neither one of them are right. So let's do what's right for the NCAA. Let's don't say we care about student welfare, and let's don't say that we we care about mental health unless we do. So there you go, Mac Brown talking about the situation for Tez Walker and. I mean, look, man, it's got to be pretty distressing for him thinking that he, you know, was was cruising along. You got to imagine he had a pretty good heads up as well that this was a possibility that was on the table. Um, and, and now it seems like 
you know, this is a scenario that could go right up until uh, the beginning of the season. It could extend into the season because I got to be honest, I think that the NCAA does not care. Frankly, they don't see it as uh, a significant amount of players, and they probably don't see enough stars in this group for them to really take action swiftly. So, I mean, for him, you know, he thought he was going to get the opportunity to play for Carolina, play a full season for a school that he has always wanted to play for. More importantly, his grandmother was going to get to see him play, not only in his home state, she was going to get to see him play in his home city, a much easier trip for her right down the block from where he went to high school at in West Charlotte. It's just, I mean, at this point, I, I, the, the case is laid out there. It seems like for him and for a bunch of these other guys throughout the country, the, the case is pretty solid here. I just don't understand what is taking this long other than the fact that they want to make schools sweat. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the advice I'll give Mac Brown for putting his, his faith in, in Charlie Baker and the NCAA is the same advice I was given when I went back to my ex-girlfriend for a third time. That was good luck because you're putting your faith in the wrong people. I mean, since since the NCAA was formed in the early 1900s, they've been a walking hypocritical um, organization that has not helped college athletics. It's only hindered and hurt college athletics. And this is just another example uh, to add to the list because – um, you know, when you see dudes that have gained the system like JT Daniels has his entire career because quite how, fr- how is that guy still? I mean, seriously, you know, because quite frankly, um, he's a quitter and couldn't handle not starting at, at various stops along the but, way. But I will say this, even him, I don't it that dude should not have to sit out this year because when he transferred again. The rule still said that you could transfer without having to sit out. Yeah, but I mean, like when you That's transferred like seventeen times, at some point, you no, know, no, you- no, no, no. I agree because look, you're going after all these other guys, and Tez Walker's isn't even the worst situation. There's a guy, I, I, the name is is evading me right now. There is a kid trying to transfer to Arizona State that was told because of some medical situation he is not able to return and play at USC. For this upcoming year, his only option was to transfer, and that guy can't play. They're ruling him and they're uh, ruling his waiver claim uh, to be ineligible. It, it just, I, I, I don't understand. I don't get it at all. I really don't. And I think it's just again. I said this when we talked about it initially. This is them trying to flex their muscle and show these kids we still have power. Because we don't have power over anything else. We don't have power over schools literally leaving overnight Yeah, for other conferences. But we have the power over you in a scenario like this. We might not be able to slow down NIL. But hey, and that's that's the sad part. The best part about all this, I'm pretty sure these guys can still have NIL deals in place during this time. But they're not playing. Mm-hmm. So wouldn't that go against your own rule? How the hell does that make any sense? I yeah. mean, I just, oh my god. Yeah, it doesn't. And uh, so yeah. yeah, but here's the thing. So the wide receiver position, we talked a little bit about it. And look, 
The options that I laid out there, J.J. Jones, Kobe Pesor, those are probably the most likely options that will be battling it out. Because, look, there is a rapport there already with Drake May. And it feels like both of those guys have proven at points that they can affect the game. Now, Kobe Pesor has done it every time he's been out there. Problem for him, is he going to be able to move to the outside? He's not a guy that's going to be a traditional X receiver that can win deep. That's that's just not the way that he plays. He's a precision route runner. He's going to create separation with how good his feet are. So are you wanting two of those types of guys on the field at the same time with him and Nate McCollum? Or are you looking for that deep threat over the top in J.J. Jones? I mean, how would you approach that if if you were Lonnie Galloway, Chip Lindsey, whatever, whoever's going to make that decision as to which guy you're putting on the field? Do you want the playmaker or do you want the guy that kind of fits that deep threat that you're looking for? I mean, I think naturally you want you want the deep threat given how well Drake May throws the deep ball. Um, it, it's really hard to really answer that question without seeing the offense. We don't know if Carolina can run the ball the way that we, we, we think they can with the running back talent. Maybe you can get away with not having an over-the-top guy to beat the defense. But if Carolina can't, and this is an offense that is back to relying on the big play, then you're probably going to want to see J.J. Jones out there over, over Pesor. And so uh, it, it kind of, you know, it's not the answer that you're looking for, but the answer is, to, is TBD, is to be determined. Because we just don't know what this offense right now is going to look like in a game situation. I would probably, I, I would say, you probably got to start J.J. Jones. But I will, I, I would put it this way. You have J.J. Jones out there. He's your deep threat. But in certain scenarios, you're putting Kobe Pesor on the outside. Now, the thing is, is that Pesor has got to prove to them that he can play on the outside. Yeah. If, if he can't play on the outside, if he can't handle the physicality of playing against these longer corners, then then it just it isn't going to work. If he can't create the separation, then you can't put him out there. But from what we saw from him last year, I think he's capable of doing that. So I think it could be situational. In terms of them being able to run the ball, Mac Brown, he did not say a lot of positive things about the team overall in his press conference yesterday. That's nice The to one know. thing that he did point out, I mean, there were really three things that he said that he was critical of. He didn't really talk about, like, there's clearly elements of this team that are really good that he's just not. Like, he didn't mention the quarterback play. Um, These were in his initial statements. He started out by, by pointing out a couple of things. I think it was from what he saw in the scrimmage. Um, that they had on Saturday. They actually scrimmaged earlier this morning on the day of recording on Wednesday. Um... So I think, you know, that he's still a little nervous about certain aspects. One of the things he was not was the running game. He said the running game looks phenomenal. British Brooks just showing them exactly what he showed them last year. And, I'm, I mean, at this point, he is going to be a part of the running back rotation. And we've, I've heard him talk extensively about him. He talks a lot about Amari and Hampton. We heard Chip Lindsey talk about him, said he's developed as a pass protector, uh, a guy that can catch the ball out of the backfield too. And then we've also heard Caleb Hood's name come up. Haven't heard a lot about Elijah Green. I really hope Elijah Green's not going to be faded out of this running back room because to me, 
That would not make any sense. Last year, I thought he was the most consistent running back they had the entire year, even when they had all these other guys in there. So we'll see. But I the, the way that he talked about it, he, he talked about the offensive line and how they are still struggling in pass protection. Mm. Um, I mean, he, he said, look, this is we have, we have been at this for five years now, and it seems like every year this is the same problem that we continue to have. And he said that the other day in the scrimmage, they didn't protect the way that they needed to. So I don't know if that's if that's him holding them to a high standard or what, but – the consensus would tell you is when you combine that with him bragging about the run game, hey, this is a team that's going to be able to run the ball. They're run blocking well. They're just not pass protecting well, which is very concerning. So we'll see. I, I think the offense in the first game of the year, if Tez Walker is not out there, is probably going to look a lot different than the offense that we saw last year. And who knows? It could look different from the offense that we see later in the year if he is deemed eligible. Now, there is a group of receivers as well that Mac Brown bragged about when he was talking yesterday. He said, look, you got to give credit to uh, the younger wide receivers on the depth chart. Chris Culliver, the true freshman, has come in. He's a summer enrollee, by the way. And he has looked really, really good. And I'm going to tell you right now, Chris Culliver is one of those guys that he it, it's going to take him a little bit of time to learn the things that he needs to learn, to settle into what it's like being a college student athlete and everything like that. This dude, skill set-wise, he fits exactly what you would be losing in Tez Walker. Now, I'm not saying that he's the player that Tez Walker is. I don't think he's running 23 miles an hour down the field. I mean, that's elite speed. I, I think Chris Culliver is incredibly fast, but I don't know about that fast. He, when he was coming out of high school, and when me and Zach Hubbard were breaking him down, I said, this guy reminds me a ton of De'Ami Brown. And who has Mac Brown been comparing Tez Walker to this entire offseason? De'Ami Brown. If you give this dude a little bit of time, if Tez Walker is not eligible, he will have some sort of impact on this team. The other guy, guy that's versatile. Now, I don't know if he'll play a lot on the outside, but he is over six foot. He's not a true slot guy. It's Christian Hamilton. Mac Brown continuing to brag about him. Uh, you know, talked about him again the other day. This follows the spring game where he, or the, the, well, performed well in the spring game, but just the spring as a whole, he performed really well as a true freshman. So he's another guy that's worth keeping an eye on. And he even said Doc Chapman, now he's a slot guy, but he said that he has started to catch the ball very well over the past week. Confidence has come to him. He's caught everything that's been thrown his way. So this wide receiving core, I will say this. Am I am I crazy to think that this is a wide receiving core that could still be one of, if not the best in the conference, if Tez Walker is not out there. I think there's just that much talent in this room, regardless of if he's there or not. Yeah, I mean, I don't think so because the way they recruited it, like it's this is a this and is a, the way Lonnie Galloway coaches, like he has developed that room tremendously. Yeah, so I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. And also, you got a quarterback that's going to elevate the dudes around you. Like there are there are some other quarterbacks that. Um, that are good quarterbacks, but they're not elevators. Well, Drake May is an elevator because uh, 
you know, he he he's he's made the guys around him better. And if you know Tez Walker isn't able to play, he'll 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 do what he needs to do to get these guys where they need to be. That way, they at least can go out there and do the things they need to do as an offense to give them a chance to win every week. And so, um, I wouldn't I wouldn't disagree with that because I've kind of thought that really since Mac Brown's second recruiting cycle that as long as he's here, Carolina's going to have the talent in the in the skill position rooms to be the type of offense they want to be. Also, that tight end room uh, looking pretty good. Uh, John Copenhaver apparently is just absolutely tearing it up, both as a blocker and a receiver. So I think Carolina is going to be okay. Uh, some of the other stuff that he talked about, uh, you know, just going off those initial comments that I mentioned, and then we'll talk about the injuries here in just a second. He mentioned defensively that the run defense is not where he wants it to be. Now, I, the thing with the run de- – see, this is weird. This is this is what I hate about camp and, and the way that college football does it as opposed to the NFL. The one thing I like about the NFL, you have joint practices. You have preseason games. And I look, college athletes, you're not going to have preseason games. But it's so hard to judge certain things. So he said he wasn't pleased with the run defense – but the thing is, is if the run defense was tearing it up, then you wouldn't be pleased with your running game. So, is this that Carolina's running game could be that good? I mean, I look, I'm not going to say that Carolina's run defense is going to be one of the best in the country, and that means the the Tario running game is going to be putting up numbers like Navy or Army or something like that. But that one, I, I, I get it. You'll have to see as it transitions into the year what you're seeing. I mean, he was very complimentary of a guy like Tamari Fox creating tackles for loss. So, I, I mean, I listened to Gene Shizik the other day as well, and he said that he liked the way that they were filling gaps. He, so, if that if he's saying that, but Mac Brown's not thrilled with the run defense, I really do wonder if that's the running game. The more concerning one for me is when he talked about the red zone defense. And how that is not performing the way that he wants it to. Because the first time that Gene Chizik here, what was the best thing that his de- – or what were his defenses known for, really? The bend but don't break mantra. They would let up a ton of yards. I mean, let's not act like they were just stonewalling people. That never happened. There is not a Toriel defense since Butch Davis was here that knows how to stop a team consistently. But what they did best – was finding ways to keep points off the board or hold teams to three when they got inside the red zone. Last year's red zone conversion rate, 86%, which was 86th in the entire country. So below average. It seems like the unit could be heading there again. And I'm going to tell you, if this team's going to take a step forward this year, they probably got to be a little bit better than that. Oh, there's no question about that because you know this defense is going to let teams move from the 20 to the 20, but it's what you do inside the 20s is what's either going to make you an ACC championship contender or a team that goes 8-4, and 9-3, and three, and it's another what-if type of year. Um, you know, you're talking about the run defense. I, I, I think it's probably more problematic about that because I think if – because, I mean, that's just another sign that this defense probably isn't where it needs to be because this, this program hasn't stopped the run in over a decade. And so with the type of running backs that you got, if Carolina were slowing them down, I think you'd be like, oh, well, we've now taken a step in that direction. We're going to be able to stop the run more consistently. 
while still being able to run the ball against our opponents. Um, I think if Carolina is running the ball on them the way that Mac Brown's making it out to be, I think it's probably foreshadowing we could be in for another long year of teams running the ball down their throats at us. Well, the thing is, is like for the first game of the year, that doesn't really concern me that much because South Carolina, that's one of the weak areas for South Carolina. DeCurian Joyner is probably going to be their starting running back. A guy who originally came there as a quarterback, moved to wide receiver, moved back to quarterback in the bowl game they played against us and, of course, killed us. And now it's probably going to be their starting running back to begin the season. So that's not, that's not a point of strength for them. Maybe the other thing for me is that, look, they didn't really do a good job up front. I mean, they didn't do a good job up front of anything last year. And they still were not a horrible run defense team. They they did a they did a solid job defending against the run for the most part. I guess it's just to me, I'm gonna trust Cedric Gray and Power Eccles to be able to make the plays that they have to make. And if anybody can take a step forward up front, I it would be a lot of help. So, I mean, it's 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 weird because again, Gene Chizik that's that's the other thing. I think hearing from Gene Chizik before you heard from Mac Brown, if if I had heard from Mac Brown first and heard these reviews, I would be as pa- I would be panicking because I would be saying, "Man, how bad is this defense?" But from his standpoint, I mean, he seems to he seems to think that there are improvements there. So, I don't know. We'll we'll, we'll see. I mean, again, it can't really get much worse for this team defensively. If you find any way to be better, you're taking a step in the right direction. Now, let's talk about the injuries that could have a pretty big impact on this defense. Now, the thing is, is it doesn't involve that front seven. So that has pretty much nothing to do with what we've been talking about here with stopping the run. I mean, granted, you need your star player uh, or, or your your star position, your nickelback, to be able to sub in uh, you know, and 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 help you in the run game at times, but th- this is you know a team that is known for being depleted in the defensive backfield, really since the end of the Larry Fedora era. That that's that's been a room that has just been torn apart by injuries, and this year is no different. We knew that they could be in a little bit of trouble with the amount of guys that were limited in the spring, and now here in the fall. We're seeing those injury issues pop up again. Legend Cavazos, a lot of people thought this was going to be a severe injury when he suffered the lower body injury and was deemed out indefinitely when Mac Brown spoke to the media uh, last week. Um, that is not the case. He is only out four to six weeks, so it's not the end of the world for him. I mean, four to six weeks, you're talking about he could be back as early as you know week two against App State if they really push it. Week three, uh, but he he also you know could take his time and with the cornerback depth that they have, uh, they you probably could allow him to do that, um, you know. And then you've got injuries to Will Hardy at safety. That's another one where yeah, it's concerning. But you've got guys back there. You got veteran guys, Don Chapman. Uh, we know Geo Biggers looks like he's set to start yet again this year, um, and and they've got some younger guys that are going to fit in there, not to mention the transfer Derek Allen who comes over from Georgia Tech that can help them there as well. The concerning part is that star position that I mentioned earlier, that nickelback spot. As of right now, DeAndre Boykins not practicing. 
and they don't know if he's going to be ready for the first game of the season. Same thing with Stick Lane, who was the transfer from Georgia Tech or Georgia State that's coming in that they were expecting to probably feature heavily there as well. Thing with Stick Lane too is he was a summer enrollee. He does not he has not had a lot of time in this defense. So even if he is ready to go uh and and is able to play and he only gets a couple of days of practice leading into it, I don't really know if he is even the guy that you're going to go with. So right now that star position, huge question mark for Carolina. Yeah, I, I think it's just uh, another, just another, another challenge for this staff to figure out. You know, who are they going to find back there to to do what you what you want to do and what you need to do to to put this defense uh, in a position to really really take a step forward um, and 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 give this team a legitimate chance to. To play meaningful football down the stretch, because um, I, you know, there's there's no denying this. Even with all the offensive struggles Carolina uh, experienced a year ago last year, and you could argue that more so, like in the NC State game, like the defense kept them in that game. Like Carolina was up seventeen to nothing against Georgia Tech and blew the game. You know, the we look at the state loss, like the defense was is what kept Carolina in the game. This year, I think we're still very calm. This offense is going to be potent. It's going to be explosive. But what what's Carolina going to do? And you're right. It feels like every time we're getting ready for a season, there's a key member of that defense in the secondary that's hurt. And, you know, that, that's, that, that's really frustrating because I think we were all kind of a lot more positive about that position group going into this year after they moved on from Dre Bly because the frustrations that have carried over – has not been from a lack of talent. Like there is, there's good players in the secondary. They just weren't being coached well. You felt like that changed, and then you get into training camp, and some dudes that you were counting on to to be a big part of what you wanted to do right out of the shoot, they're not going to be on the field for you. And so, what it really does is it really puts pressure on this defensive line coming out of the gate being productive. Because if Carolina can't get pressure on the quarterback, and you, we saw what Spencer Radler did last year in big games against Clemson, against Tennessee, and against Notre Dame where he torched those defenses, then you could be in for a long night starting out. And so um, hopefully Carolina gets some guys that can step up. It's that next man mentality because they're, they're, they're going to need quality secondary play right out of the gate. Well, and the frustrating part is, look, as you mentioned, Spencer Radler – has had games where he has shredded secondary. He's a gamer. When he settles in and he is feeling it, he is one of the best quarterbacks in the country. Yep. But there are times where if you can get him off schedule, if you can get him out of rhythm, which, look, first game of the year. Dare I say if you rattle Rattler. I mean, there is – there, there are plays to be made against him. Yep, he's Matt, turnover prone. Yes, and Mac Brown said, "Look, we need to be aggressive." He, he, he said, "Look, our offense is doing a good job of taking care of the football in camp, but we need to be more aggressive with creating turnovers." And I think that's that's something that you're hoping for if you're Carolina. He mainly pointed to them not creating fumbles, which mm-hmm. I mean that's been a problem for years now. Um, but I, I think, you know, there's opportunity to be had. I, to me, if this scenario plays out where you don't have Boinkins, and I, I, it's like I said, even if Lane is ready to go, 
he will have almost no time practicing with this first-team defense. I, I think you've got to have somebody else probably start out there. Yeah, He's a talented player. There's no doubt about it. I love the pickup. He can create turnovers. I'm not even saying don't put him on the field at times. But you've got to have somebody that's been in the system that has been learning for a while now. And look, they're saying, and to me, I mean, I wouldn't say it's a nightmare scenario. If Caleb Cost is the guy that's there, I'm not panicking as much. Now, he's a true freshman, and he didn't come in until the summer. So that's asking a lot out of him. They feel pretty good about him. If they have to start DJ Jones, the converted running back there, it's time to panic a little bit. Yeah. Like I know, look, we saw, we said the same thing the last time that they played South Carolina here in Charlotte. Remember the freak out that we had when we found out that they were going to be starting Chaz Surratt in the first game of the year. And we said, a converted quarterback at linebacker? How's that going to work? Well, that worked out pretty well. I don't know about this one though, especially since he was playing safety and trying to transition there in the spring. So he's only been playing nickel during fall camp. To me, the obvious scenario would be to move Elijah Huzzy into the slot. I know he's your best cover guy. It would suck because not having that dude on the outside against Juice Wells, that would be, that would hurt you. But, and I'm interested because this is, this is one of your guys. Do you trust Marcus Allen enough on that outside against Juice Wells? And then the other guy, Tayon Holloway, who has been, I mean, Mac Brown was foaming at the mouth over this dude when he spoke on Tuesday. Do you just do you just trust Marcus Allen to be able to handle a guy that's probably a first team all SEC receiver when all said and done at the end of the year? I mean, look at the situations you put Marcus Allen in a year ago, the back half of the year, and I feel like he passed every test. Uh, physical corner, you know, did, I mean, was reminded you a lot of the kind of cornerback play you saw when Butch Davis was here was just the way that he was able to fight off blocks, make plays in the run game, be physical at the point of attack, down the field, and in and, and, and passing situations and not being called uh, called for penalties. So, well, you, you, it's, not, it's not ideal, but uh, I'm not against it. Well, here, here's the other thing. Can we count on some safety help over the top for the first time in years? That would also help. You know, I'm not going like, to count on that. I will just go into that game pleasantly surprised if we if we see competent safety play from Carolina safety. Well, the, yeah, I mean that's that's the thing, man. And and look, I will say this: last year at this time, they were talking about how concerned they were about the safeties. Yeah, we have not heard that this year. Now that might be because so many other things are going on, but I take that as a good sign that some guys are stepping up. But we'll, I mean, look, we'll just have to wait and see. But the thing is, is as you mentioned, Marcus Allen, guy that can play physical, he's got good length on the outside for an outside corner. That's that's what you want. And the scheme, Gene Chizik, now again, everything that you hear about this team, everything that you hear especially about this defense Take it with a grain of salt. He says that they are going to be more physical at the line of scrimmage. They are going to be more aggressive with some of their coverages on the outside. You need to play more press man coverage in this game, especially if you're going to have to have 
Marcus Allen out there. I think you're going to have to mix it up. You're going to have to play a pretty good amount of zone, but there are going to be times where you have to be aggressive at the line of scrimmage with Juice Wells and try to throw him off. So we'll we'll, we'll see. There, there's a lot of things that Carolina is navigating, uh, and one of the guys that you know Mac Brown also updated uh, the status of is R.J. Grigsby, the true freshman offensive lineman. Let's take a look at the rest of the offensive line along with R.J. Grigsby for the 2023 season. It's now time to take a look at the Tar Heel offensive line for the 2023 season, and it's a unit that the Tar Heels simply need to get more production from this season, especially when it comes to pass protection. Each of the last two years, Carolina's allowed over 40 sacks. It was a disastrous finish to the season. 14 sacks, 84 quarterback pressures allowed in the final four games, and that's a big part of why the Tar Heels fell apart in 2022. Uh, but, buddy, this this is uh, this is pretty much the same unit that's coming back. Yeah. Um, they lose Awesome Richards. They bring in a transfer in Willie Lampkin, and that's really the only changes that are made to the unit. They do bring in, uh, you know, a, a few freshmen to the group as well to add a little bit more depth. But for the most part, we are talking about a lot of the similar guys, um, you know, playing a lot, a lot of the same roles from last season. So, I mean, I know they got a new offensive line coach and Randy Clements. Just kind of an overview of the group. Where's your confidence level in this group taking a step forward coming into this year? I mean, I would love for it to be high because I mean, I've talked about it at length. Whenever we preview other positions, like this is I this is the unit that makes or breaks. I think this entire season for Carolina because, like Drake's proven that if you can protect him, he's going to put up the points you, he, that he needs to put up to to win. So even if the defense is not good, which is uh, a very good possibility, you know, before the offensive line, you know, just just fell apart last year, Carolina was scoring at will week in week out, and and so. This is one of those where, like, it's going to be a wait and see, and you're going to have to probably wait, I would say, through the end of September to really have a good feel, a good vibe, because week one, South Carolina, like, national stage, big game and stuff like that, you would expect them to be kind of juiced up, excited to go out there and play. And so if they perform well, like, that would be a building block. And then, you know, you got App State and you got Minnesota, like, this is going to be something where you're not going to feel really comfortable saying they've gotten better until we've got kind of five, six, seven weeks of data to kind of back that up. And and, and this is the thing that, you know, that, that, that this program, that they need better offensive line play. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the fact that the, the offense under Mac Brown's second tenure has been as productive as it's been with the issues among the offensive line is rather remarkable because it's not supposed to to go that way. If you if you have issues up front, typically you're not a dynamic offense. That hasn't been the that hasn't been true with Carolina. Their offensive line has had issues and yet because of their quarterback and the skill position talent around them, this offense has put up points and yards. 
The problem has been when they've tried to play with the big boys, i.e. the Notre Dames, the Clemsons of the world, NC State, who's not a big boy, but you know the way that they run their defense, Carolina gets manhandled and they get beat more often than not. And you know we're trying to take the next step as a program. We're trying not to waste the final year of Drake May in Chapel Hill. The best way to do that is ensure Carolina's got an above-average offensive line because if they have that, I think I think you could see a scenario where Carolina finds itself back in the ACC championship. Well, game. the more the more concerning part is that. This is these are not a lot of holdover guys. I mean, there are there are some guys, and the majority of the veterans, um, you know, that were on the roster the last few years were guys that were holdovers from Larry Fedora's era. But it, even some of those guys, Awesome Richards was a guy that was brought in early in the Mac Brown era, and the last two years, I mean, th- this unit took a step back. Now they took a step forward last year. Don't get me wrong, because. I mean, in 2021, that might be the worst offensive line play I've ever seen at any level of football. I mean, that was pathetic, especially with the guys that you had in that room, with the coach that you had, the way that he recruits. You should have had more development there, and he simply didn't do it because he's just not that great of a coach. Um, So, yeah, I mean, now, you know, last year, Jack Bignell Jr., like, you wonder – if, if he had a second year, what would this unit look like? But again, they're going through another change on the offensive line. Now, the good news is is that I think things will be a little bit easier. They, they will take the pressure off of what the hardest aspect of offensive line play is, which is pass protection in the modern era. They're going to probably run the ball a little bit more. But the concerning part is a lot of the guys that returned from last year, not the greatest run blockers. Your three, uh, three of your four returning starters from a year ago had a grade of below 60 in run blocking, according to Pro Football Focus. So not great. Pass pro, not much better. A lot of guys struggled there. And even the guys that didn't struggle there, I mean, some of the numbers, like Spencer Rollin grading out as a 66.2. Come on. Really? He allowed 43 pressures last year. What I mean, I don't know. I, th- that should tell you all you need to know right there. 43 pressures, six sacks allowed. He's returning at right tackle. But the more concerning thing here, and probably the, the, the area that we need to start when we get into specifics on this offensive line, is that it's not Zach Rice who's playing left tackle. It's not a transfer that was brought in to play left tackle. It's not even a guy who has played left tackle at this level so far in his time at Carolina at any point. It's William Barnes who is moving from right guard to left tackle. And the problem with William Barnes last year, 57.2 pass pro grade, two sacks allowed, 27 quarterback pressures. And there were times where it seemed like it was almost even worse than that. He also missed a couple of games in there with injury. I I just, with, with him moving out to left tackle, I am very concerned about where this Tar Heel offensive line is at heading into fall camp. Yeah, and rightfully so, because if you don't have a left tackle, this offensive line will not be the best version of itself that it needs to be um, in, 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 in 2023. And so... You know, obviously, you know, the staff has seen something in him that makes this type of move 
uh, possible. Um, like, cause like if you're moving from left guard to left tackle, you're probably not gonna make you know you're probably not gonna raise an eyebrow. But from right guard all the way to left tackle, you know you're on the different side of the ball, so your footwork's different. You know your 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 responsibilities are much more different. They're a lot more pressure packed and stuff like that. And you know, um, I, I think this is where the tight ends being a lot of two tight end, maybe even three tight end sets. I think that's going to come into play, especially if Carolina wants to be a downhill running team, because you've got guys like Morales and Copenhaver that can get downhill and and, and block rather well. And I, and I think that's going to be the thing is that. This has got to be a committee thing. Carolina's blocking needs to be better all the way around. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, it starts with their offensive linemen, but you need to have your tight ends involved because they have the skill set to do so. And Carolina needs to use their running backs. That's just where Carolina's at right now. You don't have an offensive line like Georgia or what Ohio State, like those type of programs have that can go out there with five offensive linemen and block seven. (laughs) Like, 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 you, you, you don't have that. And so it's going to be imperative with you moving your right guard out to left tackle, especially early on, that you give him the type of help he needs to let mm-hmm. himself get comfortable. And then, look, if he proves he can handle himself out there and be left alone and you don't want to have a blocker there with him the majority of the time, that's fine. I don't see that happening. I, I, I expect the tight end lined up on that side of the ball early and often as William Barnes makes that adjustment moving to left tackle. Yeah, and I mean, it's probably going to almost completely eliminate a tight end from a pass set at certain times where you're going to have to have your tight end stay, tight end stay and help block. They're not even going to be able to chip and just run their route after that. Um, what will help even more, by the way, you talked a lot about the tight ends. The, the running backs are going to be huge. They have to be able to help pass protect. Last year was not great. There were times in certain games where it looked better, but for the most part, it, it was it was extremely inconsistent, and the majority of it was below average. So they definitely need to be better there. Um, you know, you look at left guard. Ed Montalus initially said he wasn't returning, but he's back. He's going to start again at left guard. I, I've said this multiple times with him. I just think he's a guy that's better served as a rotational guy, not someone that is a full-time starter. We've seen him in the rotational role for Carolina, and he's come in and played rather well when he is in that situation. When they start him, you look at last year's numbers, played the most snaps of anybody on the team. He graded out with a 46.5 run block grade, 52.3 pass pro grade, 48.7 overall grade, allowed five sacks, and allowed 31 quarterback pressure. So it's really every element of the game Montalus struggles in. And look, they've they've got Jonathan Adorno, who is the guy that they can rotate in behind him. The problem with Adorno is, is that Adorno has not really looked great in the snaps that he's taken either to be able to overtake Ed Montalus. So they're kind of stuck in a situation where They have no choice but to play Montalus. You just need him to finally step up and become at least an average offensive lineman for you up front in terms of what he does both in the run game and the passing game. Yeah, no, you're definitely right about that. And, you know, I I think this is going to be something where, you know, 
this has got to be something that Mac Brown and this staff they spend a lot of time on in in camp or whatever, getting them getting everything kind of kind of set and ready to go because Carolina doesn't have the luxury of easing into this thing. Like if they want to, if if, if they want to be a factor and, and and be relevant, like you you've got a schedule with with the first month of the year. Like you know you've South Carolina is going to be a top twenty five team. You've lost at home already once to App State, a program that's looking to bounce back. You know Minnesota's going to bring some Midwestern hillbillies that are going to be ready to come in here and fight. Wow. Like, Carolina's got to have as this as ironed out and as ready to go in in, in once the season kicks off, um, which is why, you know, last year I don't think any of us complained about playing week zero because it allowed you to get a head start before you, you played some of your tougher games. You don't have that luxury this year. But Carolina's got to hope this thing gels right away, and it's going to be interesting to see how Mac Brown handles this group if they struggle. Because the, the, I think one of the issues is is that he wasn't firing Stacy Searles. Like, Stacy Searles just left, and Jack McNeil Jr., he left. And, you know, this has been a position group that's underachieved, but Mac Brown's been willing to – Hasn't been willing to make changes there. Well, Big Big Nell Jr. was not going to get fired for last year. No, he wasn't. And, and, and but he shouldn't have. Now, Stacy Searles should have been fired. The problem with Stacy Searles is the exact issue that we're gonna that, that that we'll talk about when we talk about the defensive lineman, and that is the fact that Tim Cross recruits incredibly well. He has a good relationship with the guys in that room, and that's the reason that he stays there. Now, I, I mean, I don't know. If it's the it's the same exact thing or was the same exact thing when Stacy Searles was here because we didn't hear that we've heard that exact statement about Tim Cross, but it feels like that's kind of what it is at least the recruiting side of it right. If you can recruit well, you will be on Mac Brown's staff. Doesn't matter how you end up coaching the position, which is just mind blowing to me. Like. It should be about development, and that's been the biggest issue for a lot of these guys on the line. Now, I will say this. You look at the way that Randy Clements has developed guys, and he's also been in a lot of different spots. He's used to bouncing around. This is not new to him. A lot of the other coaches, you know, they they, they had been in certain spots for a long time. And Randy Clements, you know, there was a time where he stayed put for a while at Baylor and stuff like that. But the last few years, he's he's kind of moved around a little bit. So maybe having him come in there, having him, you know, familiar with what it takes to establish something so quickly will work. Two guys that I'm looking at, the other two starters for the Tar Heels on the offensive line are guys that I think Carolina really needs to have strong seasons. One is the guy that tr- was a transfer from last year at center, Corey Gaynor. Um, you know, solid numbers a year ago. Uh, 57.5 grade uh, in, in run blocking, uh, 71.8 pass pro grade, 60.9 overall grade, two sacks allowed, 13 pressures allowed. Uh, the 13 pressures easily the least of anyone on the team allowed, and it frankly wasn't even close. He was the only offensive lineman that allowed uh, less than 20 last season, Uh, and then Willie Lampkin, the transfer from Coastal Carolina, a guy that can play a majority of spots. He's going to slot in for right now, at least, at right guard. Uh, And look, he last year played center, um, you know, really good run blocker, uh, good pass pro, really a complete 
uh, player, allowed 13 quarterback pressures last year while playing at center, which was the most of his career. And keep in mind, he did play tackle when he was a true freshman for Coastal Carolina. Uh, But you go back to 2021, which was when he played guard. He played all three positions along the offensive line when he was over there at Coastal. And his, I mean, he he was outstanding. A 64.9 run block grade, an 85.2 pass pro grade, 778 snaps, uh, mind you, that he played. Now, those, you know, aren't all pass pro, but to grade out in an 85 is tremendous. It doesn't matter where you play. Um, even at the group of five level, and a 66.2 overall, which to me doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. I remember that team. They weren't exactly a running squad. I mean, they threw the ball a pretty good amount, uh, but he allowed just one sack and five quarterback pressures all year. That, I mean, Carolina could use that from him and, and, and Corey Gaynor to take a step forward, and i got to be honest with you. Out of this group, and I know you, you know, again, group, we, we, we've talked about it before. We talked about it with the receivers. Group of five guys coming up to Power Five always scares you a little bit. But to me, i got to be honest, Gaynor and Lampkin, those are the guys I trust the most. And they were they haven't been a part of this team for the last few years. Yeah, when, when with Lampkin's going to be interesting to see how does he do against Power Five talent week in, week out. You know, Coastal has played big-time schools along the way. They, they haven't been afraid to when they need the money. And, and so you could point to games where he has that experience, but you don't have to do it, you know, for 12 consecutive weeks like he's going to have to now at Carolina. But he's proven that, you know, he is a he's a productive player. And no matter where where you put him, it feels like you could feel comfortable he's going to hold his own. And, you know, that's something that Carolina hasn't had, and I think that'll be something that you could really count on this year. And with Gaynor, like you said last year, allowed the fewest pressures, you know, uh, of any offensive lineman coming back from a year ago. I felt like there was some leadership there that he kind of just instilled early on. There was some emotion that that guy played with, and, and I think, you know, that's something that, that could really permeate throughout this group. Mm-hmm. So, um, but it's I, – I, I say this all the time, no matter what kind of sport you're talking about. If, if you're relying on transfers to come in and set the tone and establish a culture or something like that that probably that probably isn't that probably isn't a good for, good thing for the kids that you have recruited and what you've had what you've got set up so let, let's hope that they help along the way but let's hope some of the guys that Carolina has recruited and invested they do emerge as the clear leaders of this of this position group and if so, you get that talent to mesh and to blend. There's there's enough talent and just enough depth for this to be an above average quality offensive line. Mentioned Jonathan Adorno just a couple of minutes ago. Those are the six guys right now that Mac Brown identified in the spring as guys that they know they have and can trust on the offensive line to play. Um, Which isn't enough. And again, yeah, that's almost a step back from last year. So, again, you're in the same spot that you've been in. Now, I will say this. He, in the summer, when he spoke in June, when he mentioned the six guys that could play, that was at the end of spring camp. When he came back early in June and did a press conference, he did mention that there are three guys that he said need to play more or can become part of the rotation. At least that's what I took from that. Um 
Travion Green, yeah, he makes a lot of sense to me. We heard a lot about him last year. He was talked more about than Zach Rice, the five-star offensive lineman who came in last year. Uh, And I really think, you know, he missed spring practice with an injury. So now with him a full go, I really do think he's a guy that is going to get a serious look, especially at the tackle spots because Adorno – Dorno's limited to really the three inside spots. He can play center if he needs to in a pinch. I don't really think that's that's ideal for him. So really, he's more of the backup for each of the two guard spots. At the tackle spots, though, ideally, you'd like to have somebody that you can rotate in there. And I think that probably is going to be Trevion Green. And then you've got, you know, Zach Rice, who I did not know this until Mac Brown said this early in spring practice. Zach Rice has been playing guards since last year. I thought he was, I mean, it, to me, you know, he came in as, as an offensive tackle. When I watched him in high school, I thought he moved well enough. He played with the right physicality. He, you know, had the had the right length to be a starting tackle at the college level. But apparently Carolina's not looking at him there right now. They're looking at him at guard. Um, so we'll see. I mean, he definitely last year was slowed up by injuries in the preseason. You're hoping that now he gets more of an opportunity here in fall camp to really display what he can bring. So I I think he's certainly a name that's worth keeping an eye on. Anybody that's a former five-star, you're going to have to keep tabs on them in whatever room they're in. And then the other guy that Mac Brown mentioned is Diego Pounds, uh, another guy that was a four-star prospect, an in-state guy at the tackle position. Um, you know, he played he played a little bit in the spring game. And look, the the drop off from the first offensive line unit to the second offensive line unit was very very clear. The second offensive line unit, you could see why a lot of those guys or where they are at, why they're not really pushing for reps. But I did think that Zach Rice and Diego Pounds were the two guys that really stood out. I thought Diego Pounds looked really solid for Carolina uh, on their offensive line during that spring game. And that's one of those guys that I think is worth keeping an eye on. But really, they need they need a, a guy or two to emerge from that group of three and really step up to help provide some depth and uh, dare I say it, if guys start to struggle, take some reps away from some of these starters. Yeah, I'm going to be greedy. I think all three of these guys need to be need to be in a position to play meaningful snaps throughout the season because six offensive linemen just isn't enough. And it, it's not a good thing when Mac Brown was year two, said, look, we need to have ten offensive linemen. <laughs> and, and now and now we're down to now we're down to six offensive linemen that we can really trust. You know, you look at Zach Rice, five star, so there's talent there, learning a new position. Maybe you would imagine year two with, with doing so. Um, you know, he'll be a lot more comfortable and a lot more prepared to, to be a contributor this year. Um, Diego Pounds, you know, I've been pounding the table for him to get more reps since he got on campus. Mm. You know, he's got a great name and stuff like that, so you'd like to see him get out there. And then, you know, Travion Green, who limited snaps a year ago coming off an injury, but also possesses the ability, and I think that's where we get so so frustrated with this unit, is it's not like Carolina's recruiting bad players. You're, you're recruiting good talent. You're recruiting good You could de- say that for just about every position group on the defensive side of the football and then on the offensive line. Like, you know, so you know, I think that's why there's been some frustration there, and 
maybe this is the year where maybe Randy Clements gets the most out of them and you get a quality solid five and then you get three or four guys that, you know, can, can be rotated in and then you can start developing, you know, the next crop of guys and stuff like that because that's what gets forgotten about in this in, in this sport. You look at the teams that are consistently good year in, year out. Yeah, they have great quarterback play. They've got great skill position talent, and, and they've got, you know, the, the right guys on defense. Well, what they all have is good offensive line play. That's what's allowed Georgia to win back-to-back national championships with a, you know, average mid-quarterback, which what's kept Ohio State in the in the fold. It's why you've seen Michigan return to national prominence. It's why you've seen Alabama regress the last couple of years and not be the same Bama we've been used to seeing. It starts up front, and if if Carolina can get the most out of this the the the, the, the this position group, you're going to get the most out of Drake May, and it gives you a better chance at the back end of that schedule when we're playing those games. Mac Brown complained about. It gives you a chance to compete and have a greater chance at winning them this time around. I mean, the thing is, we're not even asking you. Clearly, we're not asking you to be what Michigan, what Ohio State. We're not even asking you to be what they are, which are just dominant units from the word go and consistently that throughout the entire season. Like, if you want to be that, please feel free. But can you be a consistently average unit, a consistently above-average unit? Can you avoid the type of finish that you had to the end of last year? Which, I mean, there there were times late last year that was almost worse than 2021, where you were just sitting there saying to yourself, how in the world are they going to, I mean, you're going to take a snap. Oh, yeah, well, we're not going to be able to do anything here because there's going to be pressure in his face immediately. And that's the biggest thing. They, they definitely need to get better in run blocking. There is no doubt about that, especially if they're going to run the football a lot more. They have, been, they have not been great there either. But the, the biggest issue this group has had is pass pro, and they've, they've got to find a way to figure it out. And I get it. It's not all on them. I mentioned earlier the running backs have to step up. They have to protect better. The tight ends, they need to be able to help at certain times. But – it starts with the five guys that are in the trenches on the offensive line. They have to be able to protect their quarterback because if they don't, then this team is not going to be able to win games. Uh, I, I'll just run through some of the guys that are a little bit deeper on the depth chart um, that you know we, we could eventually see action maybe in some of the blowout games this year. Um, R.J. Grigsby, true freshman who was with the team in the spring, very talented guy that can move, th- you know, throughout the offensive line, multiple positions. I, I said it when he, uh, when when Carolina landed him. I think he can play probably four positions along the offensive line, uh, excluding center. He did it in high school, uh, and and he's extremely versatile. Um, the one thing that probably helps him, guy that he should probably really be watching in practice, is Willie Lampkin. Try to emulate some of the things that he does. A uh, DJ Geth. Not a guy, ideally, that you'd probably want to have play, but the one thing that Carolina really does lack is depth at center. They don't really have guys that have a ton of experience there. Now, look, if Corey Gaynor was to get hurt, the move that would make the most sense would be to just slide Willie Lampkin over because he played there last year at Coastal and move Jonathan Adorno into the lineup. 
But DJ Geth is that guy that would then be probably that third center for you. Uh, he was a true freshman, struggled in the spring game, but uh, still a guy that I think has some nice potential moving forward. Eli Sutton, guy that's been in the room for a while, but saw him in the spring game, really, really struggled at the tackle spot. So we'll see if if he's able uh, you know, to take more of a step forward here throughout the fall um, and maybe get himself on the two deep, but even that might be a little bit of a challenge. Malik McGowan, another guy that's fighting to get on that two deep at the guard spot. Uh, played a little bit more last year. I think you saw some decent things for him and him in the spring game, uh, but not sure how impactful he'll be. Nolan McConnell, true freshman who was with the team in the spring, he's going to be buried on the depth chart at the tackle spot as he puts on a little bit more weight. Justin Kenyuk, who the team brought in last year uh, to play guard, uh, maybe play a little bit of center, so he'll provide some depth on the interior. And then you've got the walk-ons, Chance Carroll. Now, he's a guy that could get a look at center uh, if for some reason you did have injuries to both uh, Gaynor and Lampkin. Uh, He's been... With Carolina for a while now, uh, so it couldn't rule him out. He's probably the walk-on that would have the best chance to play. The other guys include Carter Kolka, Jarvis Hicks, and Bo Burks as walk-ons in that unit. So that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Hey guys, make sure you head over to the website, Heel Tough Blog. Dot com. We got the articles up there uh, updating you guys on the latest with Tez Walker's situation as well as those injuries. We go a little more in-depth over there about what Carolina can do to sort of neutralize some of those problems that they're dealing with right now in the secondary. Also have an article that is in-depth on the biggest takeaways from what Mac Brown said outside of the Tez Walker update and the injury updates. So make sure that you guys Check that out over there. We, of course, are getting closer and closer to the start of the year. We still have position previews that we're going to be rolling out to you guys. That'll go in-depth, so make sure that you guys are keeping an eye out for those. We'll have our bold prediction and breakout players articles, which will be on the horizon soon. Also, those editions of the podcast will be there. And then, right after that, we're we're pretty much in-game Mode. We are going to be getting you guys ready for the opener against South Carolina with a preview of the game, a recap of the game, and we will, of course, have the stock report that will be back this year on the website. Meanwhile, the podcast side of things, it'll be those previews and recaps every single week of the regular season as we'll settle in to our own rhythm, and we hope you guys will be along for the ride with us. So, once again, that wraps it up for this edition of the Heel Tough Vlog Podcast. Want to thank Josh for hosting with me. Want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels! Hey guys, Anthony here. We want to thank you guys for listening to this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. If you could, make sure you head over to wherever you listen to your podcast, find out where you can rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, and go ahead and do that for us. The rating and reviewing, that helps us to move up some of those rankings, and the subscribing, that is for you, so you don't miss any editions of the podcast coming up. We look forward to you being a part of the Heel Tough Blog podcast family moving forward, and thank you once again for listening to this edition.